Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. My guest today is a TikTok personality who uh, I believe he tries to speak a lot of truth to a lot of the nonsense out there. Uh, Jordan, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Right. Yeah, my name's Jordan. I'm uh, off to wagon on all of the socials, but definitely TikTok is my my primary platform. Uh, a little shy of half a million followers on there. That's just dwarfs any of my other followings. But please follow me everywhere if, if you like my stuff. I appreciate it. I appreciate it on all the platforms. Um, I live in uh, rural Minnesota, and uh, I um, kind of fell into doing this by accident, but um, I think people just sometimes appreciate a view of a more rural sort of blue collarish perspective on things that aren't typically um, talked about from from people in our demographic or uh, maybe are, are talked about in a very different perspective on, on average. But uh, I don't know. I don't know why people listen to what I have to say or, or what draws them to me. I also do a lot of other stuff that, uh, you know, Minnesota history I like talking about and things like that. Um, science, I do a science video every week. So I just I just get on here and talk about the things that I find interesting and want to talk about. And for some reason, some people like listening to me ramble about it out in the past year. So. <laughs> I think uh, typically people who live in rural areas are lumped into the, the red side of the political mm-hmm. spectrum. Nope. Um, so it's refreshing to, to kind of see somebody from the rural area who really just puts them to task, you know, mm-hmm. pull, points I, out the yeah, hypocrisy think, and stuff. And, I think too, um, because of what you just said that we're always lumped into that, uh, there's a lot of people in rural America who, who are more progressive or more moderate or more, or left leading, you know, they, they don't fall into the uh, strap a flag on their truck and go, you know, harass people in Priuses type of demographic. And it, it feels really lonely because you, we're all lumped into that. And those people are very loud and very in, in your face. And I do think that that might be, it, it, it's giving, it's giving uh, those people. I think if I've accomplished anything on this platform, it's giving those people who feel very isolated and alone, that, that bit of knowledge that they're not the only ones out there, that there's plenty of people out there. There's people who, you know, think the way they do, feel the way they do, are willing to question some of the things that are often just taken for granted as a as a, a given out here. And um, and I've had a lot of people reach out and tell me that, that 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 has been their experience listening to my content. And I appreciate that. I know that I've felt that way a lot of times being out here in rural Minnesota. I'm just... Uh, I don't care about what people think about <laughs> me as much as others, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm a little more able to speak up, and I've been provided a platform to do that. So that's that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. Oh, like I said, I as like I said at the beginning of it, I, I definitely commend mm-hmm. you because it's you know the, the things that you could kind of point out or the the information that you put out there in your videos, it's easily researchable and and verifiable, mm-hmm. and I think given the current state of social media. Uh, whether we talk, you know, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, or all that, mm-hmm. a lot of time people just talk just to hear themselves talk, and they don't hold into account the potential influence that their words might carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think currently there's a faction of political elected officials who significantly abuse their power and their position and and what their words carry. You know, obviously in politics you're going to have 
different perspectives and different ideas on how to, you know, come about a solution. But to have a faction of people that are being elected, turning it into a reality show. I mean, and everybody wants to be the star. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There is there's certainly a faction of that, and it does obviously carry weight, especially like you know when you look at things like January six and and things like that. There's there's consequences to the actions of just spewing utter bullshit and propaganda from a place of authority, whether you have rightfully earned that authority. <laughs> it to me, I, I have this this tick in my head that tells me that you know people who have a voice that mm-hmm. people are going to listen to and gravitate to and and kind of hold value in meaning what they say. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel they have a responsibility to to be honest. And absolutely, when you have the encyclopedia volumes worth of examples of people saying things that are demonstrably false mm-hmm. and then repeating them again and again and again and again, even after people went, wait, that's not true. And they don't care. They just, they beat it because it pushes the narrative that they're trying to push. Yep. It, it makes it hard for people to figure out where the truth line is. I mean, there's, there's your truth. There's my truth. And someone in the middle of that is the objective yeah. truth, so to yeah. speak. Mm-hmm. But I think, what you do is you kind of, as you said, you give a voice to people who look like you, think like you, are afraid to be a little more vocal. That was one of my hesitations before I kind of just took kind of your lead, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of started throwing out a couple of ramblings. Let's kind of jump back a little bit. Your upbringing, you kind of bounced around a little bit when you were a kid. What was yeah. that upbringing like? Uh, so I was born here in Minnesota. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was real young. Um, and then when I was about uh, six, seven years old, um, my mom and we'll call him my stepdad, he's basically stepdad to me, uh, moved to Florida because he got a new job offer down there in South Florida. Um, so I went with my mom down there and they would end up, you know, splitting up and, and my mom started kind of doing her own thing. Uh, I wasn't around a whole lot. So I moved back up with my father uh, here in Minnesota, finished out high school up here, but he uh, he went through a divorce and the great recession hit right at the, you know, right at the exact same time. It was kind of a perfect storm. So, you know, I got a, a, a pretty uninsulated view, uh, experience of, you know, the recession and, and just kind of broken family stuff at that point. So then I went to, uh, I, I stuck it out as long as I could. And then like college, it was like, that's my chance to go experience something new and different that I haven't experienced and kind of get it away and just take a break from all the hours of working and the family stuff that I couldn't seem to fix. So I, uh, I went to uh, Virginia Intermont College, a little private college in Bristol, Virginia, right on the border of Tennessee. Um, I got a riding scholarship there because I grew up riding horses too. So a riding scholarship there double majored in business and psychology, graduated in 13, and then uh, moved back here to uh, Minnesota, worked for the Boy Scouts of America as a district executive for a couple years, about three, three, four years, I guess. And then um, I, I was not really, uh, I'm not a great company man, so to speak. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I kind of quit before I had something else lined up and I've uh, managed to not have to go back to work and do a real job. Um, I kind of had some side gigs that I was doing while I was working and I amped those up and unfortunately enough have been able to kind of live on my own time and schedule since then. And that's been, been pretty freeing, I think. Um, and gives me the time to, you know, ramble to my phone in a pasture. Uh, Cause I wouldn't be able to do this with a regular nine to five <laughs> job. Nice. What, uh, what drove you towards the, uh, the psychology education? Yeah. 
as I feel most kids probably are in high school, have no, no, no fucking idea what I wanted to do with life, career. I had not a clue. I knew I did not want to go into excavating or the trade simply because I just watched everybody I knew who was in those fields, you know, go belly up or, or struggle to not go belly up through the recession. I don't want that insecurity in my life. So I, uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I took an AP psych class in high school, and I basically slept through the thing and aced it. I'm like, wow, I get this. I'm, I'm good at it. This must be what I'm supposed to be doing. So I go to college. I major in psych and uh, hadn't picked a minor or anything yet because still no, no idea what I want to do. And then, I don't know, a year or two into it, I'm like, I, I can't really do anything here without uh, going and getting a master's and probably a Ph.D., um, and even if I do that, I don't know what I'd want to do in this field as a career. I'm like, I found it interesting. It doesn't necessarily mean I, I wanted to do it for work. Right. And, uh, and then the one, like the one field I think I would have wanted to go into would have been industrial organizational, which is, you know, the, the psychology of making products functional for people and things like that. Uh, and that's, you know, a highly, highly, highly competitive, um, field. There's a very narrow range of people who get in, into those careers. Uh, and again, you need a master's at a minimum, probably a PhD to really be competitive. And I'm like, I do not want to go to school for that long. Um, I do not want to go fight my way into a career like that and spend years doing something I don't want to do hoping for an opportunity. So I was like, I should probably add another degree onto here. So I added business and just, I'd already had enough credit hours with the psychology. I'm like, I'm not, giving it up. So I, I completed that. What, um, what do you do kind of, I guess, as your, your day job now? Fortunately enough, actually like the social media stuff starting to pay a, enough to be considered a part-time-ish job, I guess. So that's, I put full-time hours into it. It feels <laughs> like most days, but other than that, I, um, I've always had a knack for buying and selling stuff with motors and wheels. I, I, it was a, I find it interesting, so I just always buy stuff for myself, but I'm also, you know, I grew up as a, a poor rural Minnesotan kid, so I have, like, this this knack to never, ever pay, you know, full price for anything. <laughs> so I, I got really good at buying stuff at a discount, and then I'd play with it and get bored and uh, wait until somebody wanted it more than I did and, and sell it to them, and that's been, I've been blessed enough, fortunate enough to uh, be good enough to keep finding those deals. And I've always waited for the the time to run out where I have to go find another job again, but fortunately <laughs> haven't had to. And now, like I said, the TikTok stuff's helping out, pay some of the bills too. So that's awesome. So you have a, it would be safe to say you've got the term I want to use, I guess you're mechanically inclined mm-hmm. like me where, you know, you're going to spend more time trying to fix it before you buy something new because if it can be fixed, it can be fixed. I'm going to yep. fix it. <laughs> yep. Yep, I, I know enough to get myself into situations I can't get myself out of, and that's you know what happens a lot. But yeah, I, I am I am determined to find that good deal in every situation. So uh, <laughs> everything is a chance to be an educational opportunity. This is true. <laughs> I've learned a lot through bad decisions. So. <laughs> uh, like likewise, um, people kind of tend to ask me what I do, and having had a career in law enforcement um, before I'd retire from that. I just refer to myself as a jackass of all trades. Just there's mm-hmm. not much that I can't do or figure out and drives my wife nuts. But uh, no. it's just a matter of um, keep moving. <laughs> so yeah. how um how did you get going with TikTok? I mean, like I guess we kind of mentioned earlier, it's a matter of uh, freewheeling, so to speak. But yeah, um, yeah, I I'm 
a grumpy old man at heart and always have been. And so like, I, I never get on the new social media things. Like I was the last person all by my lonesome on my space, um, you know, until, uh, I got dragged kicking and screaming to Facebook. And then I've been on Facebook ever since I'm like, this is got all I need. I can, you know, communicate with my friends that I need to communicate with. And marketplace has unfortunately more or less replaced Craigslist, which I, I'm very sad about because I hate marketplace, but you know, when I do what I do, I've, I've got to go where people are buying and selling stuff and that's, that's the place they do it now. So I was not going to get on TikTok or like, you know, any of these other social media platforms. And, uh, my, uh, fiance had continued sending me or like, she'd save all these videos she wanted to show me from TikTok. And so we'd spend, you know, an hour, a couple times a week or better sitting here scrolling through all these videos she saved that she wanted to show me. And she's like, I'm so fucking tired of like having to rewatch all these videos I already watched on my phone while I can't do anything else because you're using my phone to watch these videos. I'm setting up your own, your, your TikTok account. So like she set one up for me so she could just send me these videos. I'm like, all right, now I'm on here. And that's pretty much all I was doing on there for a little while. And then uh, I, I was sitting at a bar one day and I looked up at the wall and I saw the uh, We ID sign and it said, uh, yeah, I just had this realization. I was like in March uh, last year, and I had this realization. I was like, in in a few months, kids who are not even alive, not even born for nine eleven, are going to be able to sit at a bar here with me and drink. And uh, I, I was like, it's not that long ago. Like, I don't feel like it was that long ago. It can't be twenty one years ago. And I just had this like mini existential crisis, and <laughs> I'm like, I can't be the only person feeling this. So I went and I made a video about that, and. I don't know really what compelled me to do it. And I just happened to be wearing, you know, this, the the look that I always have, the high-vis sweatshirt and glasses and stuff. And I, I went out and I was walking around the pasture and I just made this video. And uh, it's it started off for one of the lines in there is just, you know, what makes you feel just fucking ancient? And that line became like super stitchable apparently. And just people, I mean, the thing was stitched for six months straight, multiple times a day. Like it, it ended up, I don't think people watched the whole video. They just like heard that and like, oh, I want to talk about, you know, my thing. But that, you know, it went from no followers to well over 10,000 in a, in a week or so. And then one of those stitches was somebody, and then I was like, all right, well, I've, I've got a little bit of a following. Maybe I'll continue to try to play with this and do something. And I wasn't going to get political on there. Cause again, I live in, in rural Minnesota. I'm like, I don't want to alienate my friends or people who have differing beliefs than I do and things like that. And that lasted till the next video, uh, when <laughs> somebody sw- uh, stitched that previous video and, you know, said something about kids today have no work ethic. They don't want to work. That's what makes me feel ancient. And I'm like, hold up boomer. And, uh, so that was the second video. And then that one blew up because it was like, you know, that's, that's bullshit. Uh, kids today like I I grew up and I felt that that was that really affected my life being you know told that you know my generation's lazy and we don't have anything because we don't work hard enough and I like I was working 60 70 hours a week and going to high school full-time for good parts of my my high school career just trying to make ends meet and I always felt like I was like we're I'm, I'm behind I can't get ahead because I'm not doing enough if I work harder and then you know it was like that through college and coming out of college and having no options for any like decent paying jobs it's like you know, McDonald's level pay for college educated, uh, you know, a job. And, and I was like, that, that fucked me up. And I, I think it fucked up a lot of our generation. And now like, 
I'm like, that That stops here. No, absolutely. Kids today have a work ethic and, you know, good for them if they're standing up for themselves and demanding more. I wish we'd have figured that out as millennials sooner, but, and that resonated apparently with a lot of people. And so, uh, so yeah, that one blew up and then it just kind of tumbled from there, you know? I, um, I think I, I think I remember that. I was very similar. Like I kept on hearing about all these things and all the, like, mm-hmm. the TikTok challenges and mm-hmm. dangerous and all that. And when I started, first started getting into kind of, watching some of the videos, I was completely enthralled with the artistry that people were putting up, whether it was woodworking, mm-hmm. painting, whatever yeah. art medium. I, I was just completely sucked in by that. And I'm like mm-hmm. going through my stuff. I'm like, this is amazing. This is amazing. I wish I could do that. I, I definitely think that there's been a shift in the way the content is because now it, I think it really does compass everything. Mm-hmm. But to your point yeah, about started out like kids dance videos or something, right? right? You know, like and that's why I'm like I'm gonna get on like teen dance app. Like who the fuck wants to be on that shit? And and I I kind of I, I understand the to a small degree. I have a few more years on Earth mm-hmm. than you, and I come from that that hard. You know, you, you work mm-hmm. every day. You work hard, play hard mentality. You work hard, play mm-hmm. hard kind of thing. And I do get frustrated with my kids. My uh, my oldest just turned eighteen last week. My youngest is. 15 and Mm -hmm. my thought process is not so much that they don't have a work ethic, but Mm -hmm. I recognize that times are just different. Yeah. So what we see or people my age or or your age see is, Mm -hmm. you know, work ethic or lack of work ethic. It's just, it's different. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. Just it's it's different. Mm -hmm. Their, their idea of working is, is different. And as you pointed out, you know, you're, People are looking for jobs. They're mm-hmm. looking for entry level jobs, but the requirements. Not even talking about the pay. Yeah. When you have companies putting out, you know, these insane work requirements for an entry level position, mm-hmm. that even and something that I said on one of my shows a while back, there was a guy who created a software, yeah. who applied for a job, and the job was requesting like three to five years experience in this software that had only been around for two years. <laughs> and it's like th- these are the people there, there's so many people in these positions of authority who have no fucking clue what they're talking about no and well, then it trickles down yeah even even on that just to, to build on that a little bit is uh you know you know you hear the the typical quote-unquote like boomer way to like you're just not hitting the pavement hard enough you're you know you need to go shake a hand and hand a resume to a person and that's how you get a job and it's like no, it's not like you, you can't that that does not exist in 2023. There is, you know, no substantial percentage of jobs that can be gotten that way. And 90 percent of it is you need to have a resume and all your other shit. And then you got to go fill out all of that stuff in an online application row by row by row that takes you, you know, a half hour to an hour per job application. It's not it's like awesome. you go, you know, make it rain job applications and somebody's going to give you a call. And so it's it's so time intensive and people just we we were the first generation that really had to to apply for jobs that way, try to hunt for jobs that way. And so it's like that's the market we entered into and we understood like that's what we have to do, but nobody else understood that and didn't understand like this isn't 
incredibly time intensive and labor intensive and I'm investing hours and hours and hours into my life job hunting for people that aren't ever going to even read this application. It goes into a computer thing and half the time nobody ever even like looks at it, let alone calls you back or gives you any updates. And then they say they'll give you updates and then they never actually do give you any updates and half the shit's automated. And, you know, like, I mean, I finally got, it took, it was like four months or interview process of repeated interviews before I got hired for the scouts. And I had that going on with like three or four different jobs. It's like, well, how, how on that kind of time frame do you, do you make any plans? And if you're sitting there for a month and you haven't heard back, you assume you're just never going to hear back and you start trying to pursue a different angle. It's like, it's new challenges. And all of that just felt very uh, minimized and, and ridiculed. It's like, Oh, that's not that big of a deal. You're just doing it wrong. It's right. Like, and, and show I, me how to do it. Yeah. And, and okay. having gone through that again, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough when I got out of high school, I worked in a trades for a few years. I got hired by a police department. I was able to get myself into the job that I wanted since I was five. Mm-hmm. And then in 2016, that was kind of taken out from under my feet. So 2016, end of 2016, early 2017, I was thrust into this new way of trying to find a job mm-hmm. of you know, going online, sending emails, doing all this stuff. And like you said, people don't get back. Yeah. You know, it, a courtesy to me, like things that I get frustrated with are just the, the sheer lack of courtesy. If, if, mm-hmm. you, if you've read the email or got the application, whatever, does it mm-hmm. really take that long to email a formulator? Thanks. We received it. We'll be in touch. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's something that, that I see kind of simple and mm-hmm. it just doesn't get done. No. And then you get attitude, you know, like you pointed out, they wait and drag their feet for two or three months and then he kind of get back. Hey, we're interested in you in this position. Da, da, da. It's like, but that was three, four months ago and I've kind of moved on cause I didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. And then you get a little, they get shitty with you. Yep. But uh, I, I do think with, when it comes to work ethic, I think that idea evolves and, and I'm, I'm fully guilty. There's numerous times where I've mentioned that I don't think my kids understand what a work ethic is mm-hmm. because there's that appearance that, you know, they'll find any excuse, at least with my kid, he'll find like any excuse not to go to work. <laughs> right. And it's like, dude, you, you made a commitment, you want money, mm-hmm. you got to do it. And I'm of the mentality that I'll, you know, sleep when I'm dead. Uh, yes. Yeah. As, as my wife will point out, and, and she hates it. So I'm always moving and, and doing things. Um, I don't think in the last five years, I've had a time frame where I've had less than two, two or th- three jobs going mm-hmm. at once. Some of that is out of necessity. Other mm-hmm. is just because I can't sit still. Where did you start really diving into the, the political aspect of things? Yeah, um, I've always been overly opinionated about things I have no business having opinions on. And uh, and so, like, I, I started getting, you know, interested in politics when I was pretty young. Um, in fact, the George W. Bush re-election, I stayed up really late watching the results, just hoping that they were going to change type of thing. It was, you know, 12, 13 at the time, I suppose. And so I, I've always had, I've always just, I, I have, you know, pretty bad ADD where I get on rabbit holes and I, I like, I hear something and then I need to go look that up right now. And now I need to look up the next thing. So I'd, I'd be really, really informed on all of these things and have no outlet for it. Um, ever and you know I've got some friends that you can talk I can talk politics with who can kind of I don't want to say be on that same intellectual level but be on that same I guess informed intellectual level on that particular topic but there's not many of them 
you know, my fiance damn sure doesn't want to hear me ramble about like all the political problems in the world that I have recently informed myself on for no apparent reason. <laughs> and so I never really had that outlet. And I, that outlet would just come in the form of, you know, paragraph long uh, Facebook comment arguments that were not mentally healthy for anybody involved. Um, so that's kind of how, uh, I guess I, I resisted it because I didn't want my face to be out there, um, saying, you know, potentially controversial things that people that I know and care about might disagree with, or might put them in an uncomfortable position. Thankfully, I, I don't feel like that's happened. I have not lost any friends over this so far, you know, uh, and I think everybody knows me well enough to know that I like, I'm not going to burn down a friendship because we agree, disagree ideologically. And also if you're going to come talk to me about it, you better know what the fuck you're talking about. Otherwise the conversation isn't going to go very long. So like it's, it, that's, that's been fine. Uh, and I'm kind of glad it has because this has been a much more healthy outlet because now I get to have, have that way to, to share and interact with people who do actually want to listen to these things and, and talk about them. Um, and that's been, that's been great. So I, I am happy that the political aspect of that kind of panned out on here. And um, I do have what I feel like is a much more constructive outlet that is actually doing something, you know, productive rather than comments on a Facebook thread that nobody will ever read the entirety of. I've, I've said it numerous times. I think there's a, a duality with, with the social media platforms. Mm -hmm. I think they can be incredibly useful, but they can also be absolutely fucking horrible. And I think what we're seeing now is the, is the use of some of these platforms, specifically Twitter. Uh, mm -hmm. right? um, it's yes. just turned into a, a shit show of fascist stupidity. Like I, I'm not even sure if some of the people that are posting what they post are honestly believe that what they're saying mm -hmm. and, and there's a few names that come to the top of my mind, but are, are they, do they really believe the level of ignorance and, and stupidity that they're, they're spitting out or are they just trying to do like an ultimate kind of troll thing of, you know, how many people can I piss off at, at, at you once? Know, yeah, I think it's actually, I think it's, it's a little in between. There's a, I, I saw a video from another creator, um, uh, Pat Lawler, I think he his name is, um, but he uh, he made a point about this on using it as, as like flat earthers because you know we all make fun of flat earthers. They're it's it's, it's the dumbest fucking thing on on, on the on God's flat earth, you know, <laughs> like how <laughs> um, and it's like how can people in 2023 buy into this ridiculous conspiracy and. He quoted a survey. I have not individually fact checked this, but it, it feels right, you know. So and I hate I hate doing that when I talk about things, but but it does make sense. People want a, a sense of belonging, and it's like a lot of the people who believe the flat Earth conspiracy don't really believe the flat Earth conspiracy. They like being part of a group, and you can really extend that mindset then you know that's that's the cult mindset. Is you're a part of something special. You're a part of an inside group where you. You exist and are acknowledged and are recognized, and you can extend that to to MAGA and to you know all of these other these other identity politics or, or identity conspiracies and all of this kind of stuff. It's it's I'm part of a group. I have inside information, and that makes me special. 
Like, you know, if, if you have, if you know about these conspiracy theories that nobody else knows about, then, then you have special information that makes you, you better. You're not a sheep. All these other people are sheep. And, and that gives you some sense of authority and, 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 and um, quality of value that, you know, a, a lot of these people have probably pretty miserable lives. And that's what they're looking for is just that something to make them feel special and make them feel included. And then I think with COVID, when everybody got taken out of the normal community groups that they get that, whether that's, you know, church or school or going into the office to work, people really, really dove into it hard at that point. And I think, uh, I think that that's a big thing. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people know that some of the shit they're saying is bullshit, but they're not willing to confront that because pretending that it's bullshit allows them to be a part of a group or pretending that it's not bullshit allows them to be a part of a group and allows them to identify as somebody with, you know, special information that makes them, makes them an important person. I think the, as you said, the tribalism on, mm -hmm. on several levels is, is one of the biggest problems specifically with, with politics. I think we've gotten so far away from what our founding fathers had intended and with the rhetoric and, and just the sheer divisiveness and stupidity and ignorance that's being per perpetuated by our politicians. For, for me, for a sitting politician to sit there and say, we will not compromise, you just violated your oath of office right there. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's just being repeated ad nauseum. And then you got people who are less intellectually savvy mm -hmm. who buy into it because somebody that they like, you know, they have that cult of personality, somebody they like says it, so it must be true. Regardless of the mountains and, and volumes of, of information counter to what this person says, that's my guy. He's, he says this, this is, this has got to be true. Yeah. Well, and they're speaking from a place of authority, you know, and they're an elected official, a president, a senator, a, a congressperson. They're saying it. They have, they have special inside information. They know what's going on. I agree with this person. So it becomes very easy to tune out anything and just say that, you know, you can, you can take that as fact. And Anybody who disagrees is in some conspiracy to undermine my person who who is fighting for me. Right. Even though they're doing everything they can to fuck you over. Do you think that, that there's been kind of like an increase in Google PhDs since COVID? People who kind of think that, you know, they're, they're five minute deep dive in, into Google and mm -hmm. citing shitty sources are now experts, you know, and know things far better, you know, like virology and and mm -hmm. all that fun stuff, you know, things that experts have really spent 20, 30 years diving into the nuances of the things. It seems like that's kind of increased a little bit. So having somebody yeah. like you who kind of points out the truth of things, verifiable, documentable truth, mm -hmm. it's refreshing. <laughs> it's nice. I appreciate that. I mean, and to be fair, most of my stuff is, is Google PhD stuff too. It's just, I know how to um, vet sources which I think is something that's just uh, lacking because like what I'm doing here is not like, I am not a super genius. I don't have all of this, you know, just locked away in my brain. I'm not, you know, specifically qualified or educated on any of these specific topics where, you know, I'm, I'm an authority on them. I just, I'm good at looking up what people who are experts and authorities and topics have done the research and the legwork on and putting that into the context of whatever situation we're talking about and re double referencing, triple referencing those sources and vetting those sources to make sure that what I'm saying is the best available information that, you know, a person can get on 
on the World Wide Web. And, and it is frustrating, to your point, that, you know, we have the more access to information than at any point in human history. Like, I mean, you, it, for a lot of reasons, we wouldn't even need, you know, a formal education, a higher education anymore, because we have all of this access available to us for, for anything, anywhere. You can become, you know, educated on, on any topic imaginable. And in the, that, that same tool that, that provides us with that incredible power and resource is what's made society dumber. You know, it's, it's, it's so easy to exploit. And, and I think a lot of that too has to do again with generational change. A lot of the older generations tend to be more susceptible to conspiracy theories and believing whatever bullshit slides across their Facebook feed just because they didn't, they didn't have to deal with this. Like they didn't have to vet sources. The, the, you know, Walter Cronkite came on the news, told them that's the way it is and that's the way it was. And that's all they had to do. And they grew up trusting a source uh, you know, a man in a suit on television or now on the on the magic box you can carry around with you in your pocket tells you something, you, you got to believe them. That's from a time where it was really a matter of these are the facts. There mm-hmm. was no slant. There was no spin. There was no nonsense with it. It was just yeah. the well, stories we know it and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you, know, you had CNN jump in and then the 24-hour news cycle started. And then it's a matter mm-hmm. of trying to find content and trying to find news things to keep it going. Yeah. And it's like Fox jumped in and shit went sideways. Mm-hmm. And it, it really did start with talk radio. Um, conservative AM talk radio is really where this started. Uh, and that started with, you know, death of fairness doctrine, but that, that is where, where this, that was the, the bridge point. And then, yeah. And then CNN, and then, then Fox news and all of that. And it made, it made that kind of shit more palatable for those generations who need to be told what to think and then punditry came about and they told them how to think about you know the news it, it wasn't presenting the news it was presenting how their opinion of current events and they still consumed it as factual as in this is the opinion from an educated perspective of a person who understands what's going on and that allowed them to just run rampant with the propaganda machine and so you know younger generations tend to be a little bit better dealing with this because, you know, we grew up and it's like, you have to know how to vet your sources. You can't use, you know, this Wikipedia link unless you have the backed up sources for it to write this paper. And that wasn't even on a political aspect. That's just, this is how you find reliable information on the internet because there's a lot of unreliable information because anybody can put anything they want on the web. So how to properly research. mm -hmm. I have hope, you know, cable news is dying. Cable in general is dying. I have hope that as time goes on, you know, as younger generations replace the older generations, uh, this kind of stuff will tone down a little bit. You know, it's always going to be there now. This this genie's out of the bottle. But I do think that we will probably see a peak in in this kind. I hope. I, I normally don't make predictions because I'm always wrong. <laughs> but I talk about the past, not the future. <laughs> I think you pointed it out, made a very good point, specifically about, you know, to talk radio. You have people like mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh who possibly one of the most vile pieces of excrement that's ever put his voice on the airwaves. The hypocrisy that that just exuded out of him just drove me up Mm -hmm. the fucking wall. But I'm from the, the, a generation where, you know, in the library, we still had to, you know, Mm -hmm. part catalog files and Mm -hmm. had to like go pull books and research things through a book. 
And mm-hmm. we, you know, as I went through school, by the time I was graduating high school, you know, we had a little bit of the internet and we were able to access things a little bit to a degree because, you know, the birth of the internet and I'm old. Um, mm-hmm. Your generation is somebody that, that you kind of were taught before education kind of t- seemed to take this shift away yep. from teaching kids how to think critically and how to properly research to teaching them to prepare for a test. And I think that's kind of what I've seen my kids have. They're, they're not really taught to retain anything, information. They're taught how to take a test. All right, that test is done. All right, we're not going to go to this test because this test is coming up, so we're going to learn this stuff. And then, all right, we're done with that test and on to the next thing. They're not really taught to to retain the information, and I don't think that they're taught as – there's a lot of things I think schools could go back to, um, you know, home ec classes. There's things I think they, they could put back in the curriculum to help kids, especially given the fact that – you know, a lot of kids come out of school and they don't know how to jumpstart a car or change a tire or, you know, sew a button back on or make mm-hmm. eggs. You know, little things that are kind of effectively life skills that I think are, are necessary. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree and disagree with the statement. I think I think that school is heavily lacking in practical skills, um, for sure. You know, like how to do your fucking taxes, for example, you know, yeah, how to change a tire, jumpstart a car, that that kind of stuff, I, I 100% agree we should have more. I don't know that, I don't know the school does a great job of teaching kids to think critically today. I don't think that they tried at all to teach kids to think critically before. I don't think, you know, I, I'm going back to your reference of having to, like, go pull books off of shelves, you know, to do research. That's not, that's not critical thinking. That's cataloging, you know what I mean? Um, and some of the stuff has moved towards critical thinking. You hear about all the, the common core shit that people, you know, how they make math more complicated because you're doing, you know, this, but that, that is the point of those types of problems is, you know, thinking about fractions and, and sets of whatever numbers it's, it's coming at this at a critical thinking. Uh, it's, trying to teach them how to think critically about these various problems um, rather than just rote memorization of this is how the problem does, you know, and uh, your generation, our, our parents and grandparents' generations, I feel like spent a lot of time memorizing for tests. And I spent a lot of time memorizing for tests that you forgot as soon as you were done taking the test. And I, I think the intent behind some of the, the common core stuff and some of the changes in curriculum is to get away from that, not, how, how, think how to solve the problem, not remember how to solve the problem. So right. you can always learn how to do something. If that's being done effectively, I don't know. I don't have kids in school, um, and every state is left. I don't know what state. What state are you in? I'm in Jersey. Jersey, okay. So I, I don't know what you know each state's curriculums necessarily entail, and, and every state does it differently, some quite a bit better than others. Uh, but I do think that the overall shift is to try to teach or – I'm hoping that that's what it's going for. Like I said, I'm not super brushed up on it. You've got kids in school. Obviously, you have a little bit more hands-on knowledge about what's going on there. But I do think that at least the intent is there for that critical thinking in some aspects. I've I've actually substituted as a teacher at my old high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a number of friends who are in schools. Actually, one, the last episode that I recorded was with uh, two people that were longtime friends of mine that are both education call them specialist <laughs> teachers, yep. um, but uh-huh. they've been in it for, you know, 30, 40 years. The idea of, of them trying to teach critical thinking components to develop thing, develop the minds of kids. I think, I think they're trying to get it. It's up to kind of, kind of leave it to the teachers to do it, but yeah, 
the the comical end of it is you have states trying to go with these voucher systems, and I just saw that Texas, as the uh, one gentleman put it, the uh, voucher scam got squashed mm-hmm. because it's it's truly not beneficial to the public schools. I mean, we should be doing things to make our students, our, our kids' educational experience mm-hmm. as beneficial and as efficient and effective as possible. So when you start getting, as one of my friends put it, you had all these bookmakers making the textbooks. Every year they'd roll out a new textbook with like a period changed here or a line changed here, and you had to buy all new textbooks. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, all the information is the same, but it was a way that they kind of ingrained themselves. Then they started developing the tests, and it took away from the subject and the, the substance that the kids were learning and mm-hmm. made it more about you know buying new books. But that's a whole nother fun deep dive you can get you can get real deep you want to get into that stuff too you should go look into uh the um like sat testing and and uh all the standardized testing and the companies that have absolutely no no oversight on that basically and they they also own you know the the publishing material so they're telling you you need to buy these books to teach to the test that your state requires but we also produce the test that the state requires and then you have lots Groups, uh, you know, Texas is a huge one. Texas Board of Education that, um, that basically writes half the nation's textbooks for the for them based on you know the type of information and, and largely propaganda. It's a political, a politically appointed um, group uh, that does not include many actual uh, educators. Fields. Yeah, and so like you know, you can get very very deep into that. And yeah, no, I I completely agree that it's. Uh, that, that is a whole huge topic all on its own. That's <laughs> why I named the, that's why I named the last episode. You know, it's the tip of the iceberg is literally we, we spent mm-hmm. an hour, a little over an hour talking, and it was literally just the tip you know, of things. You know, man, I listened to that one a little bit uh, while I had some time. I only got about twenty minutes into it, but it was, uh, yeah, no, absolutely agree. And then to your point with vouchers, you know, that's just subsidizing rich kids going to private school. Is all you know, poor kids in poor neighborhoods subsidizing rich kids going to private school. Yep. That's, uh, and you have you know schools that are struggling financially, and the state should be instead of giving money to people that don't need it, they should be putting it into the schools and investing to to their actual schools. In in all your deep dives and and your political leaning stuff, have you ever gotten the inkling or the the thought to run for office? It's been people people tell me all the time that they want to see me run for office now. You know, on in the comments, of course, you take all that with a grain of salt. But um, it's not been an aspiration of mine personally, it seems like a nightmare to not only run for office, but then actually do the job you get elected to do. That said, you know, I think that the people who make the best politicians are people who don't want to be politicians. So it's something I'm considering through, through all of this experience. I've uh, had the opportunity to meet some, uh, I guess I'll call them political connections, specifically the the vice chair of the DFL, um, which is our the Democratic Party here in Minnesota, Minnesota State Democratic Party. So, like, I, I've, I've had that option a little bit and exploring it, and I haven't committed to doing anything, and I don't know that I ever will. Um, but I I am open to getting more involved in some form or fashion, and I think that there might even be better places than being an elected official for me to be because I feel like I'd be better at messaging and marketing <laughs> than possibly, uh, I don't know, doing whatever it is that, that congressmen and, and senators actually do because they don't seem to be doing their job ever. But Were they complaining, you know, 
complained about having to be there for 10 weeks and then no, they weren't there for 10 straight weeks. I only ask, I, I personally have, have run for uh, several offices, but I refuse to join a party. And I think that's kind mm-hmm. of, as has been told by people on both sides, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, come to us and, and you make a great candidate. You know? mm-hmm. But I, I, I can't, can't find that guru just because I think there's, there's things on both sides that I you know, tend to find issue with, but it, it's usually extreme end of things. I'm not going to dive any more to the politics of that. That that's just gets boring after a while. What uh, what type of things? This is kind of more about you. Um, mm-hmm. What uh, what things do you do in what little spare time you have when you're not, you know, creating content and tending to your your farm needs? <laughs> yeah, um, a lot. Um, obviously, I guess if you've seen in my videos, I have a lot of things with motors around here. I, I spent a lot of time. You know, I I try to. Uh, to use those, um, I've got some classic cars, I've got four wheelers, snowmobiles, stuff like that. And I try to spend, you know, as much time as you get, you never, you never use the, the boat and the snowmobiles as much as you'd like to, but, um, get out doing that. Uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to, um, travel a couple times a year. So, uh, travel is definitely a big thing I love doing. And honestly, I think that that is sort of just tying it back to, uh, like me and my background and my perspectives on life i think that travel is the thing that educates people more than anything experiencing different places different cultures different different things uh it teaches you know empathy and and gives you new perspectives that you never have um so i i think travel is incredibly important i think anybody who has the ability to do it should do it i know a lot of people like to be homebodies and, and stick around home but it's definitely an opportunity that uh I've found a lot of value in in life. So we try to do that quite a bit. Um, we've got the horses who I, uh, I don't know, they've basically become pasture ornaments at this point, but um, <laughs> they're out there and I, I go, uh, I still allow them to consume a fair amount of my time. Um, same with the dogs, uh, hunting, uh, fishing, outdoor stuff. Um, you, you name it, I, I try to be try to be busy, maintain a pretty active social life. So, yeah. Where, uh, where are some of the, your more favorite places that you've gone to or places that you would love to go back to? So I haven't done much traveling outside of the United States yet. That is on the list here. I've been, you know, some of the Caribbean islands in Mexico and whatnot, but, uh, within the United States, uh, we did a California road trip two years ago now, or last, I guess a year and a half ago, last summer, we flew into LA, spent a few days in LA, which if you skip LA, you're not missing much of anything. That's a <laughs> horrible place. But, you know, it's cool. It's cool to see some of the stuff. It's just so spread out and so expensive and so hard to, like, get anywhere. But then we we rented a convertible because you got to and uh, um, drove up the coast. And we stopped at all these little towns along the way uh, and, uh, like, Pismo Beach and, and Monterey Bay and, and places like that. And that was, like, really cool. It felt like uh, New England towns almost. You didn't feel like you were in, in California. And then, um, you know, did San Francisco, which was cool, but got out into the uh, – to the redwoods and Yosemite and, um, and, uh, then Sequoia national park, which was just absolutely mind blowing for me. That's been an experience that has really stuck with me. I just, you can't, you can't explain those trees till you're standing right there next to them. So, so that is some place I, I would go back to that. Any chance I got, I definitely, we want to do, uh, uh, Canada, like British Columbia and Banff and stuff like that is something that we're looking forward to doing along with uh, New England road trip. We really want to do that. 
otherwise the Florida Keys I love that I go back to them fairly often I have you know friends and family in Florida so that's always an easy cheap trip for me and as much as I dislike Florida I do love the Keys so yeah when I hear the Keys are kind of Florida but not Florida yeah I don't know how true that actually is (laughs) it really it really is true very different vibe from the rest of the state and I don't know if you've never been it's it's definitely worth a worth a visit they're again one of my just favorite places to be so so we're pushing about an hour of your time that I've stolen. Yeah. I, I greatly appreciate it. I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna ask a, a couple of ridiculous questions. Sure. They're open ended, they're not a yes or no kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the first question is how long would you last if a zombie apocalypse broke out? Ooh. Well, that's a tough one. I wanna believe I'd last a long time because I should in theory have like the the skills and equipment uh to do that. Um, but then I also feel like my ADD and uh, tendency to procrastinate and cut corners would be a pretty uh, a deadly combination um, in that situation. So I'm going to I'm going to give myself I'm going to give myself a year, I feel like a year. And then, you know, I I'd just do something dumb that would uh, would catch me up. I, I was trying to answer that myself and I'm kind of in a similar boat. I, mm-hmm. I think I'm resourceful enough and, and can cobble enough stupid stuff together to, <laughs> to survive an extended period of time. I think mm-hmm. until I run out of food, which would be the, the fun thing. But I, again, it's a matter of trying to make good use of resources. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I'd say at least a year. I, I give myself an over and under of a year, and I'll take the over on that. Yeah. Uh, question two. Which smells better, fresh-cut grass, ozone during or after rain, or the baking of fresh bed in, bread in an oven? Mm. What type of bread? Your favorite kind of bread. <laughs> probably probably the favorite type of bread. Otherwise, I really do love the smell of rain. But, um, yeah, I'd probably go with the bread. I, I got to go with the uh, that smell of ozone during and after rain. Mm-hmm. Is that what that smell is? I guess I didn't even know it was ozone. Uh, that's I, I heard that that's what it was, and that's kind of why I stuck with it. I, I freely hmm. admit I had not researched the research that i'm just going with it 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 sounds good good one for a science video i have to take notes of that i i didn't know that but that's what it is i think uh that'd be it's it's a unique smell and it's it's just Mm -hmm. it's invigorating and it's it's pleasant it's yeah Mm -hmm. i gotta go with that one and now i saved this one for last because it's it's a fun one if you can invite three people to dinner living or dead who would you invite and i and i throw the caveat of it doesn't matter time or place everybody's able to communicate and understand what they're each other saying because some people that I came up with, if, if I went back in time, I, I, I talked to them and they would think I'm a fucking alien because I'd be speaking yeah. gibberish. Huh. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And I'll expand it to five. Five. All right. All right. Five <laughs> if you need makes it. it a little bit easier. Yep. Uh, so Teddy Roosevelt would definitely be up there for me. I just... I, that just man's got to have some stories and uh, you know, as, as much as I have some issues with uh, who he was as a person and policy wise, I think that he was one of our greatest uh, presidents um, top up there with, uh, with uh, FDR Johnny cash, I think would be a good one. I, you know, still in my lifetime and then, you know, passed away before I ever got to see him. Um, and I just think is a brilliant man who I uh, appreciate more and more as I get older and I learn more about him. And uh, I would just love to have an actual conversation with him. Oh, man. I wish I had a little more time to prepare. I would have put some more <laughs> decent thought in. You know, Ben Franklin, for obvious reasons, I think that that would be a good just 
all around get perspective on where the country and the world was at at our founding. I would love to know what some of our founding fathers would be thinking of our current state of affairs. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Just to get the context of what they intended versus where we got and yeah. what they were intending, you know, that we are always trying to interpret uh, for, for modern affairs and, and arguing over. I think Jefferson might be a little pissed off. Um, <laughs> there was a joke I saw where, you know, he, he had intended, you know, basically the constitution be rewritten or at least revised and revisited mm -hmm. every 19 years or so, which I believe they, yeah. it's about that every generation. Yeah. And the joke kind of, the punchline was, you know, he comes around and says, you've only added 26 amendments. What, what the fuck mm -hmm. you guys been doing? While you think I'll throw out a couple of the ones we're on par yeah. with, with two of them. One Franklin, just his, his mind would be incredible reading about his, you know, the practical jokes and, Mm -hmm. this, just the, the social butterfly that he was would, would just be amazing. On a political spectrum, Abe Lincoln would be definitely somebody that I would love to pick his brain just to kind of see where he really was on certain topics. Pick his brain's probably not the terminology I would have used for that one, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't say poke his brain. <laughs> the Wright brothers, just to wonder where they got the hair in their ass to and, and the balls to, to start flying. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that's just... To, to have the balls to try and sit there and figure that out and then literally getting something that you built that you don't know you could potentially die with mm -hmm. and, and dive on that. There's, there are two guys that I would like to talk to. Da Vinci would be yeah. another one. Uh, his, the, da Vinci. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. The stuff that he came up with, the, the things. Mm -hmm. A lot of people I've, I've talked to when this hypothetical has come up, I've said Thomas Edison and I laugh at and I said, I'd rather talk to Nikola Tesla. Just yeah, well, it's actually, it's funny you say that, because I was going to add Nikola Tesla to my uh, to my list here. I think that he would be just an incredible person to talk to. I think that, you know, I and I get, I geek out over that mechanical and, and, and that kind of stuff, and I, I would absolutely love to have uh, experienced him. Winston Churchill would be interesting, I think, slightly post-war. Uh, again, a person that I think has done a lot of really bad shit. You can't be a leader of a country, I think, and be genuinely a good person. But, yeah. um, you know, it, just an interesting perspective of one of the most turbulent times in our world, and he was the leader at the epicenter of it. Him and him and FDR to sit down at a table together would be pretty cool. George Carlin comes at the top of my Ooh. list as well. George because be some of the things that he said, and granted he was putting it, he, he was deemed a comedian, but mm -hmm. some of the stuff that he put out was just so on point and it still mm -hmm. resonates 20, 25 years later. And it, it's just, I don't know whether it's its impressive or scary that the things that he talked about then are still relevant now. Mm -hmm. A little of both, I'd, I'd say. A little both impressive and scary. Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, there's a reason he's so revered. There's a reason his stuff is still shared so uh, so extensively. On the comedian front, um, uh, Robin Williams, just oh. obviously childhood hero of mine and, who, who would not want to hang out with Robin Williams, you know? So uh, that would be definitely the, an interesting, and I'd mm -hmm. probably have to be in isolation for a week following just to recover from the <laughs> laughing so hard for, for that long. Uh, that'd be amazing. It'd be amazing too, just to be able to talk to him. Cause you know, just thinking about how he passed and like how people who seem so happy and bring so much joy into the world, you know, go out in such a sad way. Mental health yeah. is definitely something that uh, I think we need to address, but it's one of those 
tricky topics because you can't ever truly be inside someone's head. You can give them mm-hmm. all the information, you can give them all the encouragement in the world. But once somebody kind of gets fixed on something, mm-hmm. they they kind of set their mind to it. And, that, and that's kind of the path until a boulder gets in your way. And, and usually mm-hmm. they're going to run through the boulder, unfortunately, when they're in that kind of dark of a place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that mental health is something we need as a society and civilization to we need to, to work on on a much more of an important topic than people give it credit for. Everybody talks about it, it's a buzz thing and they, you know, they say for clout, but to, they mm-hmm. don't offer any real solutions to anything. No, and we've actively, you know, undermined the mental health institutions in our country for a long time. I'm going back to Reagan again with that, but um, <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things that people don't understand it. So it's easy to say that, yeah, you know, mental health, we need to work on that, but what, what do we need to work on? What resources do we need? And it's not, it's not an easy solution for people to grasp onto, so it makes it a easy thing for them to just set aside and be like, "Yeah, we should do something about that." Um, I don't want to think too hard about it because it makes my head hurt. Right. On how, how do how do we fix these things? How do we make people not want to kill themselves? How do we you know treat mental illnesses that even even the the best professionals in the world don't completely understand? Right. You know, we're we're dealing with the the last frontier of human anatomy and the brain and and learning and we've learned a lot but we still don't get a lot of it and we're still it's a lot of guesswork that goes into it unfortunately um and it's kind of especially when it comes to mental health it's as much of an art as it is a science right now and that makes it it makes it a really hard thing to address and unfortunately when things don't have a simple black and white answer it gets really easy to sweep it under the rug because people don't want to put in the effort to to figure out what that nuanced answer is. It's messy, and, and mm-hmm. most people don't like messy. I'm I personally I, I hate labels on things. I mm-hmm. I don't mind getting dirty in 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 that sense. One of the problems that I hear recurrently about you know the homeless population, mm-hmm. most of them are homeless because they're mentally ill. I mean, what logical person or reasonable person would want to live? on the street when you have an opportunity to go live somewhere else. And, and yep. everybody's kicked around ideas, you know, convert old homes, take up you know, all these foreclosures. There's, there are options and, and some temporary viable solutions, but who are we to kind of t- dictate and say, we want to take you off the street. And if you want to be here on the street, well, that means you're, just, you're, you're, you're blankly mentally ill. You know, so it's, it's a sensitive thing where you're trying to look out for the human's best interest and, mm-hmm and for their mental health, but also allow them the autonomy to, to exist the way they, they want to. Um, yeah. You know, I kind of made a comment to my wife a while back. In history, we've, we've had all these asylums for mm-hmm. massive, massive scales of abuse. Um, yeah. But I, I think that the idea of having a, an asylum like that isn't necessarily a bad idea if it's done the right way. I think there's a lot of things in, in our society that are not fundamentally bad ideas, but they're just something wrong. gets bad publicity. It's hard to, it's hard to, and I've, I've actually done content on this specifically, um, a, a few videos on it. Cause you know, Reagan closing down the mental health institutions. And that's, that is kind of what led to uh, the mass homeless um, epidemic that we have now. Also things like, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, um, 
like like that that was not an accurate representation of mental health facilities at the time right. and it was you know it was a dry, it was an entertainment piece it was a novel and it was a movie and it was it was designed to elicit to something. be an entertainment piece yeah it was designed to be dramatic um so they took you know the most horrific aspects of the past of mental health and the horror stories of mental health and packed them all into a movie set in a current setting and people consume media and can't separate, you know, fiction from reality sometimes. And that, that led to a, a big outcry of, you know, and, and there was, there's always been problems with mental health. There's definitely been abuse. I'm not undermining any of that. We've had tons and tons of problems in this area, but uh, shutting them down and kicking them out on the street wasn't, didn't fix those problems. didn't solve anything aside from just make people who, had issues, but a place that they were at least taking care of in some form or fashion to having nothing and making, you know, law enforcement be the people who has to take care of them and the judicial system and uh, emergency rooms. And, you know, that's, that's kind of where, where we're at now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've looked up the numbers, the best available information on this as the, you know, just giving them houses, giving them a place to live, be that, you know, apartment buildings, complexes, something like that is cheaper than what we're doing now right. by, by letting them be homeless. And then at that point we could at least start giving them options and resources for mental health, but we right. need to fund that too. Like there's not enough beds in the places that still do have, you know, mental health treatment and we don't have, they don't have the resources that they need to effectively treat these people and, and hold these people. So on that vein, I think one of the things that really came out during the pandemic is when people be, started becoming more aware of their own mental health and, and actively trying to seek therapy, whatever form of therapy mm -hmm. there was, the problems that I think a lot of people ran into, and it's something that I've read in several places, there was not enough therapists, mm -hmm. not enough therapists that actually took their insurance. Yeah. Um, and the, the few that they were able to find that were actively seeking new patients and took their insurance, they would actually find mm -hmm. somebody, but they weren't seeking new, new patients. So yeah. there's not enough doctors out there to, to do it. And you need standards, especially when you're, when you're dealing with somebody's head and, and being able to diagnose and, and see what somebody's telling yeah. you. I and, mean, anything medical, you're going to need standards for, for sure. It's a strained resource already, and you're just mm -hmm. doing things to exacerbate it and, and make it that much worse. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there are very few things in this world that are black and white. I think, mm -hmm. I think everything is just about everything is some varied shade of gray. Absolutely. Um, and we can always learn or try to learn something new and, and, and advance that way. Mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of tend to cringe when somebody projects himself as an authority of something and clearly has no clue what the fuck they're talking about. Like myself sometimes. But with that being said, I greatly appreciate your time. Where can people find you outside of TikTok? Because I know you just started a podcast too. Yep, I started a podcast. Uh, it's the Let Them Eat Toast podcast. Uh, it's on all of the all of the streaming services. If you do follow me on TikTok, uh, it's there's a link there under my on my bio um, that you can you can go there. Otherwise, it's on Spotify, Podbean, Apple, all that. It's also uh, on my YouTube video, it's recorded in an actual studio. So we have, you know, we're sitting at a desk with fun flashy lights and stuff behind us that, uh, that you can watch it there too. If you want to watch it on YouTube, I'm doing it with my buddy and we're putting in a lot of, a lot of work, um, and more time and money into it than I kind of anticipated I would be doing on a podcast. I never thought I'd be doing a podcast to begin with. So 
Um, we appreciate all the support, everybody watching that. Otherwise, uh, I have a um, a, uh, a Facebook account, Off to Wagon Facebook account. I have uh, Instagram. It's all OFF underscore J-A-W-A-G-G-O-N. Same with uh, YouTube. And everything gets posted to those. Uh, every All of my content gets posted to both YouTube and TikTok. Um, everything else kind of just gets some hit or miss content. But I, I interact with people on all of those. I appreciate everybody who takes the time. I also have a website, com, where I've got merch that kind of helps pay for my time and energy and expenses that go into this. So I always appreciate when people buy stuff. Um, it's it's cool. Uh, so, yeah. I appreciate anybody who uh, who stuck around this long to hear my shameless plug here at the end, and and uh, I appreciate you having me on the show here and talking to me. So I appreciate your time. I like I said, I I, I try to talk to people that I find value in, in what they what they say in their message. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are genuinely trying to do the right thing, especially in this you know current war against intellectualism that we have going on mm-hmm. in our country and elsewhere. Can't suggest your your content any more than than I just have. So. Again, I appreciate your time and um, have a good night, sir. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.